Good day, folks, and thank you uh, for joining me today on the podcast. I apologize. It's been a little while since I've done one. Uh, We had the holidays, and then, unfortunately, Kathy had a few health issues, but she's feeling better now. When she feels better, frankly, I feel a heck of a lot better, too. So we're going to pick this up where we left off. We've been talking about uh, Jesus' interview with the woman at the well and comparing that to the prior the religious political leader of his day and now he's dealing with a woman who's the opposite end of the spectrum and that she's a down and out pretty well rejected woman rejected by everyone because she was uh not only she was a samaritan and samaritans uh in the jews that was the kind of the prejudice racism of the day jews would have nothing to do with samaritans but jesus decides he's going to bypass all of that And he's going to go into Samaria and he's going to meet uh, with this woman. He purposely goes there because Jesus comes not only to save, he comes to seek and to save the lost. She's coming to draw the water at Jacob's well in the heat of the day. And she comes in the heat of the day because that's the time frame when there's nobody else around. And this woman is, again, feeling rejected. She doesn't want to be around anybody else. While she's there, Jesus strikes up a conversation with her and asks her for a drink from the well. She's shocked. How can you, a Jew, even ask or speak to me and ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Jesus responds to her by telling her, look, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for my water. Now, when he speaks about giving his water, he's referring to a different kind of Water. He's referring to his ability to forgive, give new life. He calls it living water, flowing up perpetually, that would spring up in those who would say yes and follow him. And so after he tells her that, how does she respond? And that's where we'll pick it up. It's in the fourth gospel of John, and I think we're in the 15th verse. She says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll never get thirsty again and have to keep coming back here to draw the water. Now, the response is indicative of the fact that maybe she's not catching on totally to what Jesus has to say here because he's speaking about more than just her natural needs. Now, granted, she had legitimate natural needs uh, and God will always meet those. But Jesus is talking about something beyond that. He's talking about the spiritual need even over and above the natural need that she would having his having her life now he'd be happy to satisfy both those requests but he has much more in mind his well ran much deeper than just her necessary natural desires jesus was aware that the woman's real thirst was for a transformed life that would really reach down into the very core of her being And you say, okay, but she's saying for these natural needs, and it's easy for Jesus to say, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spiritual over the natural. Well, to be quite honest about it, Jesus lived exactly like this woman lived. Jesus had very little of the world's goods. He didn't live for that kind of a calling in his life. So when he speaks to somebody like this, he's speaking knowing exactly where she's at in life, just like he still would do today with people. Jesus never lived above anyone. He came from, well, a low-rent low, low rent district of Nazareth. He's born in a manger. And even the apostles that are following him, they're making sacrifices here insofar as the natural life is concerned to follow Jesus. And Jesus, as their leader, is making even greater sacrifice. And 
Sad to say, in a lot of cases today, the people that represent Jesus, the people that are ministers, as Jesus was a minister, I don't know that they'd ever lived the way Jesus lived. I don't even know that that's in their in their mind frame. I'm, of course, I'm in America, so I'm speaking specifically regarding America. And I'm not saying every single one. You never want to generalize that way. But I would say in the most uh, cases that the people that have the forum, the if I can say the major ministers in this country, would never even consider living the way Jesus lived. And Jesus never lost touch with the people in his society. He knew exactly he would go right there. Jesus could sit with potentates and kings, scribes, Pharisees, and, and all of those and eat with him. And he could go right with a leper and do the same thing. He, he was that in touch with the society around him. And he knew exactly the natural needs of the people. And as a matter of fact, he fed the poor. He did all of that. But always, always what he was focusing on is the spiritual. The core of your being is so much more important than just the natural needs in your life. And I know it's difficult for us sometimes to... Uh, to understand that and live that way. One, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was speaking, he specifically said, don't worry about what shall, you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. Now, is he saying that any of that's not important? Of course it was important. He says the pagans run after all these things. He's saying, in other words, they pursue them. But he goes on to say, look, your heavenly father knows exactly that you need them. He's aware of that and he will meet your needs. But then he finishes up that little sermonette by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be given to you as well. So he's saying, what are you prioritizing in your life? What do you pursue and look to first and foremost? Do you look to God and his kingdom or do you look to your natural needs and your natural life? Fulfillment is only found when our thirst for a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God is quenched, because that's what our souls really need. When the reality of his presence and his kingdom reigns in our spirit, it's a spring of everlasting life that forever replenishes our thirsty souls. And that's the kind of water Jesus is offering this woman. Our natural needs, I'll say it again, they're necessary, but they can become secondary to the inner peace and the rest that's found in his presence. Following Jesus for the earthly over the eternal was a struggle for many of those who we, even at that time enjoyed the ministry of Christ. A struggle for them is a struggle for us. One time he performed this incredible miracle of multiplying the loaves. As I said, he fed the people. And they were fascinated with his power and they eagerly wanted to, would you just continue that, that daily supply of food? And so they eagerly followed him and what did Jesus wind up doing? Well, he speaks to them later and he has to chasten them for seeking only their natural desires and he attempts to enlighten them concerning their real needs. They came to him after he fed them. They said, sir, always give us this bread. And what did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life. Just like he was telling this woman, I'm the living water. He told them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he told them, but I've told you this and you've seen it, but still you don't believe.
You see, the crowd was less excited with the spiritual approach. More so, they were excited about it, but they didn't want to put it first. And it says, the scripture says, from that day forward, many no longer followed him. Imagine that. They were excited and emotionally moved over the miracle ministry of Christ, which was normal and healthy. The signs and the wonders of Jesus confirmed his calling and validated the truth of his message. However, their primary purpose of all of what Jesus did was not to provide them a better standard of living. It was to point them to Jesus as the giver of new life, as their Messiah, as their King. Always the kingdom of God is directed to people to get them back into a right relationship with God through Jesus. And this new life he gives us would bring our body, soul, and spirit into a harmonious balance that we need. Rest, peace. All the physical needs and emotional needs, and we have them, they would be met as a byproduct of Jesus' daily presence in the life of a believer. And sadly today, and again, and in, in, uh, specifically in America, many of today's believers, it's hard for them to uh, capture this. Society is uh, mesmerized by a marketing message that it features really gratification of the flesh as its major focus. I mean, look at all the commercials you watch on TV. That's all gratification, look better, feel better. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking good and feeling good. But what I'm saying is that it's the major primary focus of the world we live in. Hyper physical and emotional stimulation is constantly needed today to fill a void that people have in their lives. And they're not understanding what the real void is. The appeal to the sensual is purposely put above the spiritual. And it negates the kingdom of God. And why do they do it? Well, it enhances the political, religious, and financial elite that want to tell us how to live. And when this happens, we're downgrading into this titulating technological world that has an unending appetite for entertainment. We're in an ongoing race for the next emotional thrill. Food, sex, sports, entertainment. You know what? They're the religious choices of the day. The cost of all of this is uh, phenomenal, but we don't care. Not saying everybody again, but there's too many that worship at the altar of the corporate kingpins. Even uh, you, you look at education as evolved into a social entertainment industry. There's millions of dollars generated in college and sports revenue. That's a priority of the presidents of our major universities. And I, of course, I'm in the salt, and, and they, they, I mean, believe me, they worship college football down here. And they, they check on each major institution to see how many millions they're spending on new, new sports facilities, practice fields. Uh, one, they just called out the school down here in Florida. You're, you're 20 million behind the other university. Can you imagine that? That's what, that's college. Millions of dollars generated in sports revenue. The compensation of the coaches supersedes all the other university salaries. The richest people in college are the ones that uh, coach. 
They get so much more than anybody who would be ever be a professor, even the person that runs the school. And the college brand becomes more important than the education of the student body. And I'm just, I'm using these things as an example, sports, entertainment, education, all of these things. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that Jesus wants us to prioritize the spiritual over the natural. He'll fulfill our natural needs. But we've gone, the needle's gone way too far the other way. In the churches, they're, they're not exempt from society's emotional expectations. The, the churches, they're on a race to build shiny new buildings filled with beautiful-looking people and beautiful-looking scenery. It's essential because of why. If we don't do that, we can't grow. Which... Gee whiz, here's Jesus going into Samaria with a ragtag bunch of apostles that nobody pretty much wanted anything to do with. I didn't know if he was interested too much in, in, the, in the building that they were going to build. Churches today in America function in the fulfillment of the field of dreams. If you ever saw that movie, if you build it, they will come. They have perfectly blended colors, captivating visual effects. It's all, we need to improve the congregation's experience. Their experience is to be with Jesus, one-on-one. That's the experience they need. We all need, me, you, all of us. And I know this might sound critical, but you know what? So what? Some things need to be called out. And who am I to do it? I don't know, just some older guy who's experienced this in my life. That's all. Churches today have a predominance of programs, vibrant ministries. They've got to be maintained to give purpose to the assembly. Purpose? Our purpose is to love and serve God and love and serve others. Our purpose is to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. Our purpose is to be a light. So let your light shine that others see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our purpose. Pastors today, I don't know if they're expected to even be shepherds. They're expected to be CEOs. They, and they, then they better meet the material and emotional needs of the congregants and maintain a positive bottom line. To be a shepherd with compassionate concern for the spiritual care of the sheep, that's a secondary skill. If he's got that skill, oh good, that's a benefit too. Pressure is put on pastors to secure more members in the pews. The size of the congregation, rather than the character of Christ reflected by his followers, is the measure of success. Oh, that's a huge church. That's a successful church. You know, a sheep folds on a hundred sheep, and the shepherd knows every one of them by name. And he cares for them, calls them by name, protects them, spends time with them, knows every single one of their ins and outs. And the measure of success is how much they reflect Jesus in his kingdom. And when success isn't deemed by those parameters, it mocks the ministry of Christ as a formidable failure. Because the fact is Jesus' numbers dwindled to a remnant because the multitudes rejected any message that didn't prioritize their material desires. I'm, I'm 
going on and on here today, but many modern-day church boards wouldn't even consider Jesus for their pastoral position. He, he would not meet their demands for celebrity star status. In government, business, sports, entertainment, everything requires megastars to create interest and excessive income. Ministry today is not so much a life calling as it is a money-making career. Suppose miracle ministry, self-proclaimed prophets, Hollywood-style evangelists, and they all play to an emotionally charged crowd. And for everything that's anticipated and promised, very little is delivered. But as long as everyone's been entertained, they go home happy. I probably am being too harsh, but I'm just saying a lot of this is opposite of Jesus in, in this meeting that he's having with the woman at the well, the previous meeting he had in Nicodemus, it brings all of this out. The The fact that so many turned away from Jesus Jesus called his disciples and he gave them authority and power to do what? To drive out demonic spirits, to heal diseases, to heal sicknesses, to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. And he said to them, freely you have received and freely give. And that pretty well sums it up. Everything we have from Jesus, we got freely. And in our lives, we should be freely giving it out. Simple people with no need of any self-advancement today are the power of God in the highways and byways of everyday life. And God will see to it that your needs are met. And then I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself, am I content to just have my needs met? Any true leader of the Church of Jesus, and that's all of us, we look to freely give rather than to get. Caring for the flock takes precedence over giving people and entertaining our exciting experience. Emotional hype is replaced by the eternal hope of a spiritual thirst forever satisfied. Okay, let's go back. Now that I got done my little rant, let's go back to the story with the woman at the well. After she just told Jesus, well, give me this water to drink, he tells her, go call your husband and come back. It's an interesting thing to say. And she says to him, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. And what you just said is quite true. Jesus said to you, you're right when you say you have no husband. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Is he trying to condemn her? No, he's trying to bring her along here. Her responses thus far as I mentioned earlier, have been more about the natural than the spiritual. And he wants, he intends to clarify her understanding here. So for the first time, he speaks to the woman's personal life, not with the intent of meddling 
but with a desire of ministering to her. Now, people would perceive what he just said as maybe in today's world, especially hurtful, but he's trying to be curative and helpful. Because whatever deficiency Jesus will ever reveal, he does it only so that he can heal. He will never bring up something to condemn you and drive you away, but to convict you and draw you to him. It's not an accusatory finger that he points. It's a loving embrace that he offers, and only Jesus knows how to deal with our failure without exploiting our shame. So he's bringing this up with the woman for a reason here. And by the way, it was perfectly normal for him to say, go get your husband, because a man at that time frame was not supposed to sit with a woman and talk to her alone without her husband. And so that's one of the major reasons why he's asking that. But he's asking when she, when he tells her that you've had the five husbands and of it, he's letting her know, do you realize who you're sitting with here? I'm not just another guy. He's leading her along to not only understand what she really needs in her life, but to point her to him as the one who has everything she needs in her life. And he's doing it in the context of love. Never through the power of fear or shame. Only through the grace, goodness, and love of Jesus can we be led to repent of whatever issues he chooses to reveal in our life. He doesn't do it. Again, he'll never condemn us. And he's not going to have us try to change ourselves through some guilt trip. He doesn't work that way. And furthermore, we can't change ourselves. And when we get into ongoing guilt, guilt troop, <laughs> guilt troops, guilt trips, all that it really is, is we're beating up ourselves. It's a form of self-redemption. And that doesn't work anyway. Jesus' love will always take us to higher ground. Now, he opened a wound in the woman's life. But sometimes if you've got a wound in your life, it can get infected. And the only way to get it healed is to what? Purge it. And that's what he's doing here. His love always takes us to higher ground. For transformation to take place in this woman's life, she's going to have to deal with a dead weight that has held her back. Why? Because the explosiveness of Jesus' new life that he offers her, that he offers us, we need a new and stronger vessel to handle it because it's that powerful and he doesn't want us in any weak state. He wants us in a stronger state than before he called us. Okay, so this lady's not going to miss a beat so far as continuing the conversation. What Jesus just told her didn't even seem to offend her. She's so captivated, confident, and at ease in the presence of Jesus that even his rebuke only increases her intrigue. Only Jesus can do that. Any shame or fear she may have had is overcome by the compassion and the concern that she senses and the love she senses coming from him. And that's the way Jesus wants to deal with you. We all have issues. And he wants to reveal them to heal them. And sometimes he might have to open up a wound. Because sometimes that's necessary. But he is tenderly opening her heart to a hopeful future. 
while at the same time it'll close her conscience to the condemnation and failures of her past because that's what she's been living out of. She's been living out of nothing but failure, a lack of hope, condemnation in her life. It's time for her to willingly leave behind known it and place an unknown future into the hands, the loving hands of Jesus. And the eternal reward of abundant life makes whatever price you would have to pay pale in comparison. And I think it's important for us to understand that as we go forward in life, as we follow Jesus, he looks for us to yield our lives to him. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. But we do it because we sense he's a good shepherd. Jesus said one time, Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? The same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's he saying there? Well, the sheep never tell the shepherd what to do. The shepherd watches over the sheep. But he tenderly and loving cares for them and wants nothing but the best for them and will give them the best life possible. But they have to yield. They have to yield to the shepherd. So Jesus, who has already laid down his life for us, is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. He's saying, I have given my all. I've laid down my life for you. And now I want you to be willing to lay down everything for me. And quite frankly, folks, when you fall in love with someone in the natural, husbands and wives, the whole key to the whole relationship, are you willing to lay down your life for the other? When you are, that's going to be one heck of a relationship. You might have some issues along the way, some problems along the way, everything might not be perfect, but that willingness to forsake all and lay down your life for the other person will always carry you through and make the relationship stronger on the other side of whatever issues you have and your love will go stronger. Your confidence in each other will go stronger. The secret to any lasting relationship is the willingness to lay down our life for the other. And yet I understand submitting to his lordship over our life sometimes is difficult Yet it can be rewarding. It's difficult because we're almost geared in our fallen state, in our natural state, to control our own lives. And to yield to another sometimes we see as a, as a, a sign of weakness. And Jesus is saying, when you yield to me, it's a sign of strength. And I know there's a lot of people that uh, there has been trust violated in their lives. And that makes it even more difficult. And so we struggle to give lordship to our Savior. But when we do that, when we think we've got to control our own lives, first of all, it's when we find out how little we really do control. And it's not the secret at all to any kind of life of fulfillment and happiness and joy. The price we pay for it is far greater than the cost of yielding our lives to Jesus. 
And I'll say it again, with all our emphasis on placing on having control and not yielding, it'll do us all well to examine what little control we really have in life. Okay. I'm going to finish up today by, I just wanted to share with you something that I I believe the Lord has shared with with me. We're we're coming into another year, and it's going to go along the lines of what I'm just talking about, because I think this year is going to be a time where uh, priorities are really going to have to come into order for us. I mean, you see the things that are going on in the world, and you say, oh, the whole world's crazy, and yes, there are a lot of crazy things happening And I think it's important for us to understand one thing. I just said we surrender our lives to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. All power and authority has been given to Jesus by God our Father. When he laid down his life, he was crucified on the cross. When he was raised from the dead, God our Father gave him the kingdom. So the government is on Jesus' shoulder. It's his calling, his election, and his timing. So everything that's happening in the world, even though we see the craziness that's happening, we think, well, it's all the evil people are behind all this. And yes, there are. But I want to tell you something. There is absolutely nothing happening here that he doesn't allow for his own plan and purposes. Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost, it was the first uh, message ever spoken. And he told the people, look, you've killed the son of glory. But he said an interesting thing. He said, yes, you brought him before Pilate. But he said all Pilate ever did was fulfill the predetermined counsel of God. Did he know that? No, he didn't know that. But all that we see going on in the world right now, please understand that who's really behind all this? Well, why would Jesus be behind this? Because he's bringing some things to a head. And I'm going to tell you what I believe he's doing with the church. A lot of people are talking today about a shaking that's taking place in the world, and certainly it is. But why does the shaking take place in the church? To separate us unto Jesus. To separate us sometimes from the very things that we've become immersed with that are hurting us. The, The things I just mentioned, the things of the world, the systems of the world, all these things, we get so focused on it, and we get so immersed in it, that sometimes we get further away from Jesus than getting closer to him. And we look to some things for the solution that are actually the problem. And so I'm, I guess I'm saying I think this year is a year where God is going to work with his church in a loving way to separate his church from the very things that they've been too immersed in. Me, you, all of us. Sometimes we pursue the things we shouldn't pursue and look to the things we shouldn't look and don't forsake the things we should forsake. And so a lot of the shaking that's taking place in the earth is because he's going to get his, the scriptures talk about the church being the bride of Christ. And he's going to get his bride ready. And how does he do that? Just quickly looking at the, uh, when Jesus, when they talk about church being the bride of Christ, Back in the time that Jesus lived, the whole uh, wedding thing, first there was the betrothal period where the guy would propose to the wife and she would say yes. Now that was as legally binding to them as being married, but they did not get married right away. There was a period of time that would go by. Why? Because two things had to happen. The bridegroom had to get a place ready 
for the bride. And that's why Jesus said before he left, I go and I prepare a place for you because he knew there's going to be a time frame here before this wedding takes place. But I am legally bound to you right now. You're legally bound to me right now, but I've got to go and prepare a place. The other thing that had to happen on the other end was the bride had to be prepared as well. And she had attendants that would help her get prepared. Her total total focus was on the fact that she was going to marry this guy. And her total focus in life was her love for him. Everything else was secondary. I am preparing myself for him. He's preparing a place for me. And that's what I'm saying, what I believe Jesus is doing. Now, who's the attendant that he's going to use? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to get us ready. The Spirit of Jesus is going to work in our lives and bring us to a point Well, we are not going to be concerned about what we're losing or leaving behind. We will get more excited about where we're going and what we're gaining in Jesus. He will prepare us. And then in the Jewish thing, eventually the time would come where that bridegroom would come. And he came suddenly, unexpected. No one knew when he was going to do it. But then he would come and he would go and get his bride. And they would consummate the marriage. And that's what I believe is going on, going to happen in, in, in this time frame. I believe he's getting his bride ready. I believe there's a lot of things that are going to happen in this shaking. I, I, I don't think everything's going to be as we've known it. But I'm saying this because I want you to see it as something positive, not as something negative, because we as the people of God have nothing to fear. He's in control. Our Lord knows what we need, and frankly, he knows deep in our soul we want it anyway, and he'll do what's necessary to bring it forth. So don't look around at the things of the world and think this is all crazy, hopeless, and get fearful. No, see his hand in it all. As he's preparing you, he's preparing me, he's getting us ready. He will bring us to a greater relationship with him. And what I'm saying, the first step is to see that it's needed. You know, it's everybody faces different challenges, as I mentioned, of yielding all to the Lord. And, and uh, America faces different challenges. If you were a Christian in China, uh, Korea, Indonesia, Malaysia, some of these are, or even Iraq and Afghanistan, you face a different kind of pressure there because it's not popular to be a Christian there. And sometimes there's even physical persecution. Our problem is trying to live out the kingdom of God in a nation that has changed, I believe, altered the true gospel message of Jesus to fit into the political, financial, social system in our country that, that equates Christianity to pledge allegiance to the American dream. If I can say that, the kingdom of God doesn't even have a national identity. It's not tied to one nation. It's the church of Jesus, Jew and Gentile under Christ, people from every nation all over the globe who find their identity as being part of the body of Christ, not what nation they were born in or where they live. Their allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus, his kingdom. And that's what I believe is going to take place is he's going to draw us, draw us, and draw us. 
to him more and more and separate us from some of the things we need to be separated from. And look, I know we live in the world and we're a part of the world while we're here. I'm talking about we cannot get so immersed and we can't look to anything in this world as our security. That's not our securities and and our redeemer. And he will meet our needs. He's always met our needs. Uh, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Okay. I guess some of the things that Jesus taught concerning his kingdom, it does not always fit into to the gospel message that we've known. We've diluted the message and rather than get a deeper and deeper personal relationship with Jesus, we create a national religion. And it just doesn't work. God's going to draw us more and more to a one-on-one intimate relationship with him. He's going to prepare his bride. I guess I've said that about three times, so I probably shouldn't say it again. But I think there is going to be a shaking. I think there's some things and we can talk about down the road that are going to take place financially in our lives. I think the first thing we're seeing is, as we've been living the last two years, climate control, infectious disease. And who do we see taking control of that? International organizations, more so than any of Anybody uh, that's in politics, it's international organizations. The next thing is financial. Then it'll be your social life. It's going to impact eventually every every area of our lives. And although they think they're doing it for their plans and purposes, I'm saying God is going to do it to draw his people closer to him. And don't worry about all of their plans anyway, because through history, it boomerangs on them. God is ultimately going to judge all of that. We don't have to worry about that. He will take care of that. In the meantime, our allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. He loves us. He'll take care of us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And whatever wound, whatever we might go through, he'll bring us to the other side of it stronger than what we were. Because he cares that much. He cares for our state. Scripture says that the bride puts on white robes of righteousness. And that's what he will do. He will prepare his bride. And she'll be something she never thought she could be. She will be something spectacular. Well, thank you so much for listening. And I know I went on, uh, again, a little bit of a rant today, but... uh, Well, I'm not going to apologize for that. Again, I thank you for listening and uh, God's grace. The scripture says, when you look around at what's going on, where sin does abound, what? Grace does abound much more. We don't have to be fearful. We can be hopeful. The kingdom of God is drawing nigh. Thank you. God bless you.